rehab is absolutely working to not habituate the animals that are being released into the wild, specifically animals that are predators, uh, such as bears. This is Defender Radio. And this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bearers. The science is pretty straightforward when it comes to rehabilitating grizzly bears. It works, and they're not more likely to come into conflict as a result of rehabilitation. But that hasn't stopped the Alberta government from continuing to prevent qualified rehabilitators from taking in grizzly cubs despite the fact that it's an acceptable and frequent practice just one province over in British Columbia and various other places in Canada and right around the world. Understanding this decision means looking at what grizzly rehabilitation includes, breaking down the government and anti-rehab arguments, and exploring the available science. There's no one better than biologist Lisa Dalside, who helped lead the charge to defeat unscientific policies that prevented black bears and other species from being rehabilitated in Alberta. She joined Defender Radio last week to share her knowledge and analysis. Before, So we're going to be talking about grizzly bears today. Um, but I think in order for all of this to make sense, we have to talk about black bears first. Uh, because that's kind of where some of the story starts. So... In Alberta, up until, I think it was last year, um, for a long time, uh, black bears were not allowed to be rehabilitated, despite this happening literally all over the world. Um, and you yourself are actually uh, being uh, awarded a Clements Award for part of your work in sort of helping to lead the fight against that, uh, using advocacy and science and, um, I guess, peer pressure to a degree technically speaking. Uh, so do you want to give us the 30-second the rundown of how we went from no rehab of black bears to rehab of black bears? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the in 2010, our rehabilitation permit was received with a long list of banned species um, with no apparent reason to back up the, the prohibited list. And so for eight years, uh, battling that ban, especially with the black bears, there's a lot of science to support black bear rehab works. And so in that advocacy role, it was it was just lots of education. It was gathering that science and sending it to the government leaders that are in charge of the decision making um, and letting them know that it is a successful tool used in other jurisdictions and that it works awesome for black bear conservation. So they changed their mind on April 18th, 2018. And that was a very happy day. Um, and <laughs> uh, as a result, there are now black bears being rehabilitated in Alberta. That's right. And Masqua and Charlie are the two black bears that we have at our facility at the Cochrane Ecological Institute. And they just woke up on March 15th. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Um and that kind of brings us to now, and what's been in the media is um, at Cochrane building a grizzly bear pen, despite the fact that it remains against the rules. And there's been some, I'm, I'm going to use the word aggressive opinions on this, mm-hmm. and and I'm doing that particularly because of sort of just the, the, the attitude that has come along with it. That's my perception. I will put that out there. Yeah. That's my bias, but it feels like um, 
some of the people involved in this, and we can get into that, have been, like I said, just aggressively opposed to the idea of rehabilitating grizzly bears. That's right. And and it's because of that, um, their perception that grizzly bears are aggressive and dangerous. And so, uh, yeah, their aggressive nature is definitely coming out when being questioned on the subject. And I, I don't even know how to ask the question because I still don't understand. Um, is there data? Let's start with that. Is there science? Is there peer-reviewed information that indicates rehabilitation of grizzlies is not successful? No, quite the opposite. Um, so one of the, the most highly referenced uh, studies is John Beecham's study in 2015. And... In that study, 64 grizzly bears, mostly from Russia, were um, were monitored post-release. And in one of the results, it uh, reveals all its black its bears from all over the world that were in, included in this study, different species. And for black bear or for grizzly bears, I'm sorry, zero of them got in any post-release conflict. And so this is where the argument is coming in play from. Um, Alberta's wildlife managers making a claim that grizzly bears are bigger and more dangerous and more aggressive than black bears and thus cannot be rehabilitated successfully. But the science shows that they are being rehabilitated successfully in other areas of the world, um, including just next door in BC. And the science shows from that study anyway that there's no uh, conflict post-release. And when they use the word conflict in this study, it mainly is, are they getting into people's garbage? And so black bears in the study, um, 6% of them in that particular study did get into some garbage after they were released, and they um, and that's declared as, as conflict, but none with the grizzly bears. So uh, we know from the science and we know from the literature and the examples worldwide that it can be done successfully and so we're just preparing <laughs> preparing the the um, options for the government to make that ethical choice mm-hmm. uh, if there's a if there's an enclosure that uh, meets those international standards being in discussion with uh, Russia and with um, Northern Lights in BC about how they have their grizzly bear enclosures differing from a black bear enclosure um, if we've got that enclosure, I, we're hoping that the government will make that ethical choice and choose not to kill the grizzly bear cubs that are orphaned or to just leave them in the wild to die. Uh, so I'm looking at an article from CBC. This is from May 17, 2018. Orphan grizzlies should not be rehabilitated, Alberta biologist says. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with both the biologist and the article. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is uh, Mark, is it Boise or Boyce? Boyce, Boyce, uh, who is a professor of biological sciences at the University of Alberta and of note, Alberta Conservation Association chair in fisheries and wildlife. Um, And I am willing to bet, I don't know, that Alberta Conservation Association is very much a pro hunting group. Um, Yes, and Mark Boyce actually also um, sits on the board for Safari Club International. Who profits from killing grizzly bears? Anyway, we'll just let that yeah. hang there for the audience for a minute, that this is the but gentleman. It, but Yeah, it still confuses me, though, because hunters are not opposed to 
wildlife rehabilitation. In a sense, they should be all in very much support of it because it's contributing to animals that are in the wild that are there for them to kill. Now, of course, grizzly bears cannot be um, killed in Alberta, but uh, you would assume too, just in if a hunter is especially one that's so um, knowledgeable as Mark Boyce, would be aware that having lots of grizzly bears on the landscape benefits all of the animals and the entire ecosystem and biodiversity. So it would make sense that grizzly bear rehabilitation would be supported. It would make sense. (laughs) And I'll just let that hang there too. But um, I want to take a moment on this one and kind of go through a couple of the statements because I... uh, Professor Boyce has said these things, but I've seen them from others as well. And in this um, particular article, they didn't talk to anyone else, um, which is all about journalism. So um, there's a couple of things in here that I, and again, he doesn't cite any research. So I'd like just an opportunity to maybe look at, is there research on this? So, and I think, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, too, because there's a structural issue with what he's saying. Uh, And that's if you release a young bear, it's not going to live that long because many of the landscapes are saturated with bears and a male will kill a cub. Uh, He said in this interview with CBC Radio's Edmonton AM. um, And he's and he is true, actually. He is right there. The research does support that statement. But not so, all of the cubs are killed by a male grizzly. So. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is how young are you going to release the bears? I feel like that's like you're not letting go of a six week old bear cub. Um, that's right. And I feel like that's maybe not being made clear in this. Um, because you can say grizzly cubs released back into the wild rarely survive. Well, A, what are we basing that on? B, how are you defining cub? Are you talking, you know, cub of the year? Are you talking um, uh, yearling? How how do we define that? That's right. And that is one of the arguments we make for both black bears and grizzlies, that keeping them in rehabilitation for a longer period of time will result in more success of survival post-release. Now, that Beecham study that I was referencing um, the the cubs are all released. I don't know particularly have to read through for the for the grizzly bears, but none of these cubs are released um, younger than a year in yep. this study. So they would be at least a yearling. And in this study, they were monitored for one year post-release um, for the particular uh, results about the um, uh, death here. Let me just get to this table here. So of the 64 uh, brown bears, eight of them were killed by predators. Okay. So and I'm assuming it just says predator kills there, very general, but being one of the largest predators, I'm going to assume that's grizzly bear males are killing them. So so 64 bears and eight of them killed by predators. One of them was killed on the road, and three of them were poached. And that's the deaths that occurred so, from, the, from this study. So again, I guess the question that we would respond with, in my mind, is so... Like that does yeah. that because some of them are going and and I guess this is and this is where I said there's a fundamental structural issue with this conversation and I feel like maybe I jumped ahead and should have gone into this earlier, but the way wildlife rehabilitation works is not to save every animal. That's not the intent of wildlife rehabilitation. Uh, it is not to prevent death in the wild. 
Um, like who are the animals that you are going to get in? And let's let's be specific to bears. Typically, if we're talking black bears or arguably grizzlies, how are these bears coming into rehab? Is it because they? I think I don't. I'm going to let you answer. I'm going to cut this out later, probably because it sounds rambly. <laughs> it well, um, it's it's 99.9 percent of the time it's human caused occurrences as to why these. Uh, individuals coming into rehab of any species of animal are either injured or orphaned. So it's something to do with humans. And so in the case of the bears, with black bears, we have a spring and fall black bear hunt in Alberta. So often it's because they're orphaned as a result of the hunt. But they might be orphaned too from getting hit by a car, which could be the case with grizzly bears. Maybe the mother's hit by a train, which is very common in our um, park system, for example. And... Um, and and or poached. So Alberta does have uh, a ban on hunting grizzly bears because they are listed as a threatened species, but they're still heavily poached. And all the science has uh, studies on their population have showed that that's still the number one cause of mortality in Alberta. So leaving orphaned grizzly bear cubs who spend up to three years with their mothers and are drinking milk for over a year, maybe up to two years with lots of individuals as well. So uh, it's important for them to have that mother and have that source of milk. And if they don't have it, they're, they're going to be, uh, their survival is very much compromised. So the argument to say, well, we shouldn't rehab them because they'll just get killed by a male anyway. Well, it's not government money that's paying for the rehabilitation of these animals. And so why not put the effort in when there is still a very high, as science has shown, a very high survival rate uh, from these captive reared and released cubs. So it's um, co contributing to a threatened species genetic diversity out in the wild. It's invaluable, especially for grizzly bears to be rehabilitating them and releasing those cubs so that their genetics are added to that wild population. It's going to help with the overall population, which although it is rising since the ban on the hunting has started, but it's still not a stable population in Alberta by any means. They are still extirpated from most of the province. So lots of more effort can be put into recovering that species. Absolutely. And I think that also speaks to when we talk about the the process of rehabilitation, that speaks to some of the other commentary. Uh, and again, what uh, uh, Professor Boyce has said is very in line with what I have seen from the government statements and others. Uh, and to quote, we don't really have a place to release rehabilitated grizzly bear cubs. By keeping them in captivity and having frequent contact with humans, uh, there is an unnecessary comma in that sentence, just for everyone's information. They become mm -hmm. habituated to humans and become much more of a problem when they're released. So, again, I feel that this is making a lot of assumptions um, That's right. and saying this is the way that works. So could you explain that by keeping a grizzly bear cub in captivity and having frequent contact with humans and them becoming habituated to humans, is that how rehab works? And do we know if that would, in fact, make them much more of a problem when they're released? Yeah, good question. So uh, re rehab is is absolutely working to not habituate the animals that are being released into the wild, specifically animals that are predators, uh, such as bears. 
and so um, and being released onto the larger landscape. Um, so the enclosure that we intend to build will be a minimum of five five uh, square kilometers. Um, and hopefully bigger if we can get some more funds in place and, and get some more fencing purchased. And, and if people so want to would, donate to that, they go to? Uh, www.ceinst.org, and we have a donate page. But we're also putting together a GoFundMe right now, actually. Excellent. Um, yeah, and and we already do have lots of uh, donations that have come in over the past year having Charlie and Moskwa. So we've got uh, an initial pot that's all put together going towards a grizzly bear enclosure as well, as well as we have um, one properties uh, here in Calgary has donated a whole bunch of fencing to us. So it's all really great stuff. We're, we're on, on route there. Um, so being a really large enclosure, uh, that really helps to reduce that um, interaction with humans. The space where we intend to build the enclosure will be quite far from um, the roads, far from our buildings, our, the home that's on the property, um, and, and sort of displaced from everything. So they're not really seeing people walking by to go feed other animals and, and things like that. Um, with the bears, uh, with the black bears, when they're in their enclosure, if food's being thrown over the fence, try to identify where the cubs are first, if we can even see them, and put the food in a different location. Um, so if they're on one side of the enclosure, we would throw it in on the opposite side. So they're not seeing uh, food getting tossed in from mm -hmm. humans. So there's lots of different ways that we can avoid this. And of course, too, if they come in really, really small, they are going to um, be... Uh, bottle fed initially, but trying to wean them as fast as we can so that they don't have that human contact getting bottle fed. Uh, and I feel again, like th that's the practice that I've heard from most wildlife rehabilitators. Um, with the entire intent to be to limit that contact so they can live a successful life in nature. Um, and I yeah. think that's one of the principles of the entire thing. That's right. Yeah, we want it to be as successful as possible for them. So there wouldn't be any motivation on our end to allow that human contact. Like for me, for example, I, I know I keep getting interviewed about bear rehab, but I've never, I've never touched a bear cub. I've never, mm -hmm. I've never um, been in charge of the bottle feeding or anything. We limit it to one to two people. And uh, they are the only people that have any contact when they are young enough to need that contact. And that's it. So it's um, it's not like we're letting people come and cuddle with bear cubs, get their <laughs> done or anything <laughs> like that. Like it's very restricted yeah. and always has been prior to um, the recent approval of black bears. When black bears were rehabbed at our facility prior to that, that was our protocol as well. One of the things that comes up, and this is... Again, I, it, it, I'm squeezing my temples right now. No one can see that. Maybe you can hear it. Um, I've got my <laughs> palms against my temples as I'm thinking about this. The, I'm going to read the quotes, um, and then I'll comment. But uh, again, it's Professor Boyce. Uh, it's against the law to take them into captivity, to take them out of the wild. The idea is that we should let nature take its course. Yes, nature can be cruel, but we should let nature take its course, and intervening is where we get ourselves into trouble. So those who know me know why I'm squeezing my temples. And that's because 
the entire way wildlife management in North America works is to intervene and get ourselves into trouble. Yeah. I mean, that, like, <laughs> <Good> I, <point. laughs> that is the wildlife conservation model of North America, uh, or North American wildlife model of conservation, whatever mm-hmm. the acronyms mm-hmm. can't think about it, but is that mm-hmm. wildlife has a value and we can use that value. Mm-hmm. That's the basis of the entire thing. And virtually every wildlife policy that has come out of Western governments and by Western, sorry, I mean, Western Canadian governments, um, seems to have been to intervene because we have created a problem and often and uh, the episode that's online right now uh, is killing uh, animals to quote save animals and that's the entire conversation is this ridiculous notion that lethal measures hunting trapping etc somehow is conserving wildlife but then as soon as true conservation so taking an animal who has been injured or orphaned as a direct result of human activity and rehabilitating them that's interfering and getting ourselves intervening and getting ourselves into trouble (laughs) like i i i can't even so i'm turning the episode over to you (laughs) well you're absolutely right um and this is where i i personally have a really hard time with um letting nature take its course when I, I know that humans are part of nature, but I struggle with that one in our, in, in current day and age, I struggle to see how humans are connected with nature when we are driving around our cars and we're doing all sorts of things that are not very natural. And those are the reasons why these animals are ending up getting injured or orphaned. How is, how is letting a human caused injury or a human caused, um, killing of, of, a, of a parent anywhere to be classified as natural. So in that statement of saying, allow nature to take its course, well, it wasn't natural what had happened. So how I, I can't comprehend it myself either. I, I, I would get it if it was, you know, uh, something that happened way out in the wild. Humans had nothing to do with it. We wouldn't even know that that animal was injured or orphaned as a result. But all the instances where we do find them injured and orphaned, it's because of something that humans have done. And so it is our responsibility then to do our very best to correct that situation. And seeing that wildlife rehabilitation is completely funded by the after-tax dollars that are donated by the public, who largely supports wildlife rehabilitation, and that none of the money is coming from the government to do the act, it, it should be supported. It's a service that the wildlife rehabilitators are providing to the public and providing to the government and to the government free of charge. Um, that should absolutely be supported. And and the government of Alberta has expressed they do support wildlife rehab. Uh, they are working to lift some of the banned species that are um, currently prohibited. Just recently we got news that we are now allowed to rehabilitate orphaned elk and oh, wow. also orphaned fox. So we are really celebrating that. Um, so so they are making making progressive steps in the right direction. Uh, grizzly bears are a threatened species. It's actually against the law for them to kill those orphans, but they do it anyway. So they're breaking a federal law in making that decision. And how can they also make the claim of not intervening when they are killing the cub? So that's intervention, isn't it? So, um, yeah, definitely we need a different mindset uh, moving forward and and the public is already there. 
and they largely support wildlife rehab. I haven't come across anybody yet who doesn't. So um, I think the government has to uh, do the due diligence to 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 make the wishes of the public uh, happen as well. Um, the other argument would be the government has been saying to us recently that the public are not in support of grizzly bear rehab because they are afraid that these rehabilitated grizzly bear cubs are going to eat them. Quote, unquote, that's what was said, that they're going to eat them. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, okay, again, no evidence of that anywhere, ever, um, with um, with a rehabilitated, ca- captive-reared grizzly bear ever even attacking anyone post-release. So uh, zero, zero uh, evidence to support that claim. And again, it's just that promoting that spearmongering, um, I don't think that's what the public thinks. And uh, I think that when our government leaders are saying that grizzly bears are dangerous and aggressive and that they're going to eat you, that's a fear-mongering thing to make people be fearful so that they will accept that killing as management um, response. When we all know that grizzly bears, yeah, we know that they can be dangerous, but we also know that we can foster a relationship of trust with them. And we've had many examples of heroes like Charlie Russell display that to the world. Uh, absolutely. He was a, a, a brilliant man, compassionate man. Uh, you and I were very fortunate to see him speak actually together, um, mm-hmm. in yeah. Alberta a few years ago. Uh, one of the things too, that's interesting as part of this whole conversation as worth mentioning, uh, January 9th, 2018 article in global news, um, on their website has Clayton Lamb's research that shows, let me find a good quote. I should have found that ahead of time. Um, That, we're going to keep vamping for time here. How's it going? Is everyone having a good time tonight? (laughs) Anyone try the veggie steaks? Uh, No, can't find it. But more or less, the study, as I recall, was that roads um, in the backcountry weren't the problem for grizzly bears, uh, it's the people on the roads. And as I recall, oh, there's a link to the research. Um, this is really great audio for everybody. Um, okay, here we go. Abstract. Uh, human activities have dramatic effects on the distribution and abundance of wildlife. Increased road densities and human presence in wilderness areas have elevated human-caused mortality of grizzly bears and reduced bears' use. Um, and management agencies frequently attempt to reduce human caused mortality by managing road density and thus human access, but effectiveness of these actions is rarely assembled. So the whole situation mm-hmm. of my understanding of this is that again, people are the problem. That was a really, okay. really long walk for a short drink. Um, <laughs> but that's right though. That's, that's definitely the case. And, and you know that that argument right there is going to um, hit home with a lot of Albertans because recently we've had a, quite a public debate about protecting the bighorn, which is yes. grizzly bear habitat. Um, and often grizzly bears are quoted as one of the species to protect. And so the science shows um, that they are tolerant to 0.6 kilometers 
per kilometer squared of road linear road disturbance. But I think it's critically important to identify what types of roads, <laughs> because that is often left out as a question out of the conversation when I'm reading the science on this. So um, lots of people are, lots of scientists, I should say, are opposed to off-highway vehicle users, for example, because um, they're saying that's that's the roads that are causing the problems. But in areas like the Bighorn, maybe there's only like in, in really remote areas, I should say, that are harder to access. There might only be one or two quarters going through there a day in a busy summer, in a warm summer day. So it's not a lot of human use. And uh, I think grizzly bears could definitely be tolerant of that. But then you have a road that's um, easier to access and there's maybe uh, highway vehicles that are allowed on it. That's definitely going to cause problems for grizzly bears because they don't really want to have much to do with us. They're much happier. Not every individual. Some individuals can coexist with us quite quite uh, nicely, but a lot of them want to stay their distance away from humans and they're not really interested in, in interacting with us. So giving them that proper space is really important. And, and yeah, definitely... Um, the human usage is the problem, and that's where the conflicts occur. I hate it when they um, call bears problem bears because there's no such thing in my mind. There's only problem people. That, And I think that's maybe what this whole conversation, every time we get into these conversations, um, that comes up. And that's what I hear from advocates and researchers and rehabilitators um, just consistently is it's the human behavior. Yet when we then get into this conversation of should we rehabilitate grizzly bears, uh, particularly orphan ones, and you have a biologist, a respected biologist, say, nope, because, and takes out all of the equations that have to do with our involvement in causing the problem, ignores the science in what the solution is, and goes with what I, I'd almost call folklore. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of... Well, I once heard that. I mean, it's, it's like how I used to talk to people at bars in my 20s uh, yeah. about the news. I heard someone say this about the prime minister. Therefore, it's a fact. Yeah. And, and, in, and in his defense, he's not a wildlife rehab expert, but the media keeps calling upon him for that other side of the story so that they can have that more balanced approach. But he doesn't have the expertise. Um but the statement saying it this doesn't work has always blown my mind when we have a facility right next door in BC that's successfully rehabilitating and releasing yeah. grizzly bears. And we have other facilities across the world and, and lots of it happening in Russia um, successfully. So obviously it does work. And so uh, Alberta has grizzly bears. We have um, made a very bold stance in, in trying to protect them by stopping the hunt and, and efforts to protect habitat. Um, lots is going into the recovery of grizzly bears, yet not allowing their rehabilitation and release. So it's, it's definitely a conflict. For people who want to help, um, who have seen that this is ridiculous, to put it mildly, who saw that, you know, just constantly presenting the government with the data um, and with just sort of a steady hand of advocacy, uh, which was largely led by yourself. How can people get behind 
making the same change to this policy that we have now seen in grizzly or sorry in black bears and as you just mentioned in fox and uh, elk um well right now we are an election was just called in alberta so there's a little bit of controversy over taking action or not taking action because the government's not really going to be doing much except focusing on the election yeah. right now. Um, however, so so I have been advised, you know, don't, don't get the public involved in doing anything. Nobody's going to pay attention right now. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, I think everybody should be out there asking all of their candidates, what's your position on wildlife rehab? Do you support the rehabilitation of grizzly bear cubs? And I think most candidates will be absolutely shocked to find out that we are, that we don't support it here in Alberta as a government stance. Um, and, and then making those answers that each candidate and each party uh, provides available to the public through social media, through um, community community conversations saying, oh, you know what, our, our uh, I don't know, whatever candidate doesn't support it and this, but this candidate does. And it's going to be apparent to these individuals then, whichever government forms um, after the election, which is on April 16th, if enough of us are asking them questions, they're going to be well aware that this is an issue that Albertans care about and um, and that if they, you know, want to please Albertans, who are the voting public, then they should be making these changes. And I would love to see a party come out and make a campaign promise that they will be re- re- lifting the prohibited species list for rehabilitation. I think a campaign promise to that end will be strongly supported by many Albertans. And here in Alberta, there's a lot of people who are undecided voters right now because uh, things are pretty confusing in our politics as far as... Um, uh, people who have long time being a liberal supporter, a long time being a conservative supporter, just not feeling comfortable, whatever their uh, their vote is. So um, especially with the conservative voters, there's a lot of people questioning where their vote is going to go. Mm-hmm. So if anybody steps up and makes a campaign promise at this time, I think they're going to garner a lot of support. Awesome. And people who want to help the fundraising efforts and to learn more, we are going to have this link in the show notes and on the website and everything. But one more time, it is. C-E-I-N-S-T dot org and click on the donate page. And uh, and yeah, we will have the GoFundMe all ready for a click below as well. To get involved or help the Cochrane Ecological Institute meet their goals, head to www.ceinst.org. That link is also in this week's show notes. That's it for now, folks. I want to thank Lisa for her time and all of you for listening and sharing the podcast. Remember to follow me on social media at The Fender Radio on Facebook and Twitter and at Howie Michael on Instagram. And we're working to revive Patreon rewards as some new projects get underway. So head over to patreon.com slash Defender Radio to support the show directly. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears, reminding you to be kind, stay informed, and stay strong. Stay strong.